So what a, what a joy to be with us on Christmas week that we will get to share a Christmas text that will, the hope is this, that this text will do two things. This text will insulate and this text will inspire. We need to, we need insulation because there's a lot of, we are aware of all the commercialization of Christmas. And we want to be insulated against that. So we are hoping that every text that we hear throughout this Christmas season, and any time that we gather as God's children, when we hear the word of God preached, our hearts and our lives will have an insulation. We will have um, kind of like a buffer zone that will shield us from um, all the deviations that exist out there. So they have commercialized Christmas, but for us, we are insulated by God's word, and so we are covered against that. So we are hoping for insulation, and we are hoping for inspiration, that this text will inspire us to celebrate Christmas aright. We will celebrate Christmas biblically. We will celebrate Christmas even as the church of Christ ought to celebrate Christmas. And so for us to do that, we will go to the Bible, but before we do, please allow me to pray, and then we will look at the what. Let's pray together. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you will take your word and bring it to bear upon our hearts and upon our minds. We want our lives to be shaped by your word. That our lives will cue after yours. We will line up to follow in your footsteps. To become more and more like you, Jesus. That's our prayer. And we know the only way that that will happen is if we live according to your word. And so we pray this morning that you will take your word and that you will take these grand and glorious truths and that you will use them to shape and fashion our hearts after your likeness. And so we pray that you will use your word to energize our hearts, to love you and serve you all the days of our lives. And that you will use your word to sustain us until that day when we stand before you to be perfected and love and serve you for all eternity. Use your word to shape and fashion us. Call the sinner to repentance. Charge the saint to sanctification. That your word will go forth and affect all and impact all that will hear your word this morning. You've told the prophet Isaiah, and you're telling us this morning, your word will never return to you void. And so we pray that it will go forth and accomplish the purpose for which you sent it forth. Bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I just want to mention, as I start, of an adage. It's an old adage. It's, it's an old saying um, that's commonly used in the world of sports. Um, in games, people use that saying. And even in military combat, 
they use that line. They say that the best defense is what? Is a good offense. Okay, so when you have a good offense, what, what, what it's calling for is proactivity. That proactivity instead of passivity will always ensure that you have a strategic advantage over your enemy. And so what we, what we are going to see in our text today is Jesus going on the offense. Jesus has been playing defense for a while. These guys came to him, the Pharisees came to him, the Sadducees came to him, and they had questions, and they were throwing questions at him, hoping that they will trap him. What we are going to see in a short while is the trappers are going to get trapped. These guys who were setting up Jesus, testing him, and they were hoping to use their clever ways to just discredit Jesus. They will be... They will find out that there's one who is better in their game than them. And so Jesus is going on the offense here, and he's going to be asking the questions this time around. And so our text is actually Matthew chapter number 22, Matthew 22, verse 41, all the way to 46. So Matthew 22, if you can open your Bibles with me or pull that page on your different devices that you have, if it's your phone or your um, tablet, and let's read that text together. Matthew chapter number 22, verse 41, all the way through verse 46. So Jesus goes on the offense in this text, and he wins this battle for sure. So this is what the scriptures say. God's word says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day on did anyone dare ask him any more. That's the text we are talking about. We see our Lord, we see Jesus Christ going on the offense. And he hits them real good. And the Bible says they had nothing to ask after that incident. And so what we will see in this text is actually three storyline details. There's three storyline details that I want to bring to our attention this morning. That we are hoping they will calibrate your heart to celebrate Christmas biblically. That your heart will be um, configured and coordinated right, calibrated in the right way, so that we will all walk out of this room and we will go out there and celebrate Christmas biblically. These three storyline details are designed to help us accomplish just that. So what's the first storyline de uh, detail that I want to bring to our attention? It's actually on the first two. It's contained in the first two 
verses because what we see there is we see a probing. Now, you see, for us in Kenya, we were taught English by the British. And they, they, they say inquiry. The Americans say inquiry. <laughs> so whether inquiry or inquiry, what we see here is a probing inquiry. There's a, an inquiry that was launched. Jesus launches an inquiry and he invites the Pharisees to be part of it so that they can probe, they can investigate together. So there's a probing inquiry going on in verse number 41 and verse number 42. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Those two verses contain that first storyline detail that we, are, we have entitled the, the probing inquiry. Jesus is on a probing mission and he invites them to come along with him. So in verse 41, what you see is, is, is a complete assembly. Because notice, notice what verse 41 says. While the Pharisees were gathered before any one of them sneaked away. While they were still gathered, Jesus wants to challenge their collective wisdom. They will not have an excuse that one of their best, whoever wasn't there. While they were still gathered, they were all collected together. Jesus wants to go on the offense and challenge their collective wisdom in that gathering. They gathered together. The Bible tells us why they gathered together. If you go a few verses up in verse number 34, the Bible tells you, this is what the Bible says. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, what does the Bible say? They gathered together. So they, they had sent different, different groups that were uncomfortable with the ministry of Jesus. Um, the Herodians uncomfortable with Jesus because they, they, they really thought he would take away some of their political influence, their political power. The Pharisees were uncomfortable with Jesus because their religious influence was being challenged. And the Sadducees as well. So all these groups had launched attack after attack. They were asking question after question, hoping to trap Jesus and all of them had failed. And when that news came to the Pharisees, the Bible says in verse number 34, they gathered together. They, 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 they decided to combine their efforts. And that is what Jesus is going to challenge now. This is, this is a complete assembly. Before any one of them sneaks away, Jesus invites them to a probing inquiry. And so there was a complete assembly. And any time I read, when, when I read, when I was just reading through this text, and, and you know, the word gathered just jumped off the page of the Bible and threw me back to Psalm 2. And these are times that we, we you and I as Christians, as God's children, we, we, if there was ever a text that I have had discussed over and over again in gatherings, in these times of COVID and all that's going on, we have no idea what the political powers that be are doing behind the scenes that citizens are not aware. And, and we are made aware that, that there's, there's, there's always gatherings going on. Psalm 2 makes that clear. That there's a conspiracy, not against the American people. There's a conspiracy against God's 
agenda. Psalm 2 says that. And, the, and it's not just a national conspiracy. It's not local here to the United States. Psalm 2 says the nations, they gather together and they are plotting a vain thing against the Lord and against his anointed one. So there's a, there's, there's a grand scheme that has been going on since before in the beginning. Yeah. And it goes on to this very day. And there's obviously groups and people that plot against Christ. And we, we, we are going to see how all that will end in a short while. And we will walk away rejoicing. Because that fact could be a scary thing. But, but as you will notice as we go on, there's nothing to be scared about. So there's all that that is going on. And we see the Pharisees ganging up. We see them getting together. And Jesus says... Let me, let me bring this thing to a close. And so this collected assembly that we see in verse number 41, unfortunately, all their combined wisdom, this assembly could not provide a complete answer. It was a complete assembly, but they gave an incomplete answer to the question that Jesus posed to them. Because Jesus asks them, he says, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And the Bible says in verse number 42, they give an incomplete answer. They say he is the son of David. Now that answer, as you will notice, Jesus does not rule it out and call it incorrect. That answer is not incorrect. But that answer is incomplete. It's not incorrect because we know what God had promised to David way in the Old Testament. If you read the, the book of 2 Samuel, chapter number 7, verse 12 and verse 13, God promises David. He says, David, I will give you a ruler. A ruler will be born from your lineage and he will reign as king forever. And so what they were saying was not necessarily wrong, but their combined wisdom that was challenged by Christ that day fell short. And so they gave an incomplete answer. This answer is incomplete. If that answer was complete, you and I would be in trouble. If all that Jesus was was the son of David. You and me would be in big trouble. Thank God that answer is not complete. That answer falls short. It has some truth in it, but it falls short. Thank God that Jesus is not just the son of David. If Jesus was only the son of David, the angels would have no reason to sing on that Christmas night. If Jesus was only the son of David, the, the heavens would not have exploded the way they did on that Christmas night. But the reason that heaven exploded the way heaven exploded with the choirs of angels singing and saying glory to God in the highest and peace and goodwill to all men on the earth. The reason the angels exploded and thundered in praise like that is because Jesus was not only the son of David. 
He was more than just the son of David. Unfortunately, that complete assembly gave an incomplete answer. It was not incorrect, but it was incomplete. Jesus was more than the son of David. If Jesus was only the son of David, if that's all that Jesus was, I have no business standing in front of you and preaching this morning. I should close my Bible and go out there and forget about ministry. Forget about preaching. I have nothing to preach about if all that Jesus was was the son of David. I should go out there and pursue some other, I, I don't know, when I was a kid I grew up wanting to become a lawyer. They said there's nothing like a Christian lawyer. They said that's an oxymoron. Christian lawyer. That doesn't exist. <laughs> but, you know, if Jesus was only the son of David, I should close my Bible, go out there and just find some other career. <laughs> and be a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but the reason I will not do that is because Jesus was not only the son of David. That answer was incomplete. It was an inadequate answer. That answer does not suffice. That answer does not answer the question fully. It falls short. Jesus was more than just the son of David. The reason why the angels exploded the way they did is because they knew in that manger, the baby that was in that manger was the resurrection and the life. They knew that about that baby. They knew the baby who was in that manger was the light of the world. He says that in John 8, 12. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Jesus says that. They knew that the baby who was in that manger, the reason why they were exploding in praise like that, they knew that the baby who was in that manger was the bread of life. Because Jesus says that in John 6, 35. He says, I am the bread of life. He who believes in me shall never watch, shall never hunger. They knew that baby Yes, was a physical descendant of David. He had to be of the line of David. He had to be born from the line of David. But he was more than just the son of David. And so what we notice there is that this complete assembly gave an incomplete answer. Their answer was not enough. And thank God it wasn't. That's why you and me can survive, you know, through all the trauma and all the chaos of COVID. We can go through this and we can be as peaceful as we are because Jesus was more than just the son of David. That's why we have calmness on the inside when there's chaos on the outside. Because Jesus was more than just the son of David. You have to appreciate the question that Jesus poses here. This question is a timeless question. Even the grammar helps us appreciate that. Because if you read in verse 41, it says, Jesus asked them, that's in the past tense, but in verse 42 it says, Jesus asked them, saying, that's in the present tense, meaning this question, this question continues 
to resound to this day. Even the grammar refuses to allow this question to go away. It's, it's, Jesus is still asking that question even to us who are gathered here this morning. What do you think of the Christ? Now, I know you've had people say, and I will repeat it because it's true and it remains unchangeable. That, that question is the singular most significant question in all of human life. What do you think about the Christ? Amen. Because what you think about the identity of the Christ has a direct bearing on your eternity. This is a question that determines your eternal state. Now, this question is relevant for us who are Christians. We are already born again. We know who Jesus is, truly know who Jesus is. But this question is also relevant to those who are not Christians. Now, I, I love the fact that Jesus uses the word think. What do you think? Of the Christ. Uh, just to remind us all that Christianity is not a mindless faith. We are not just mindless people following blindly after things that do not add up. The Christian faith is not a mindless faith. When you think, put one and two together, you see sense in God's redemptive plan. Because I know we have been ridiculed, we have been scorned, we have been mocked, we have been called all manner of names, and we have been challenged and called mindless people. We are not mindless people. We have thought about the Christ, and we have come to the right conclusion. We have thought about Jesus. And when you add one and two, and you get three, it makes sense. Spiritually makes sense. The reason you are not believing it is not because it doesn't make sense in your head, it's because your heart, because the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. The Bible says in Romans, you suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Your wicked heart is suppressing and rejecting the offer that God is making to you. This offer makes sense. Nothing outside this offer makes sense. But the wickedness of the human heart refuses to see the sense in it. Until God takes that wickedness away, then we look back and we say, Whoa, this is so clear now. I was lost and deep in sin, dead in sin, and I needed rescue and could not rescue myself. Then you see it. The reason the Christian faith does not make sense to you is because your wicked heart is suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness. But the Christian faith is not a mindless faith. It is the only faith that makes sense. Everything else does not. Everything else doesn't. Everything else falls short. And I will ask us, that Jesus is saying, you think of the Christ, think of the Christ, please, saint of God, 
cause your mind to be dominated with thoughts of Christ this Christmas. That you think of the Christ, you think of the Christ, and that is what dominates your heart and dominates your mind. It is okay, you who goes out there and you have a career, you have a business to run. Think about your business, do your business, but as you do your business, think about Christ. Let Christ dominate your heart and your mind. That's what Paul says to the Colossian brothers. He says, think of the things above where Christ is seated in the heavenly places. And so that's what we see, brothers and sisters. The first storyline is a probing inquiry. And in that inquiry, we find a complete assembly that gives an incomplete answer. Their answer falls short. The second storyline I want to bring to your attention, my brothers and sisters, is the prophetic interlude. Jesus gives a prophetic interlude. He reaches out to the Old Testament and he pulls up a prophetic text that spoke of the Messiah and he throws that in there as an interlude to help these guys arrive at the right answer. So that's what we find in verse number 43 and verse number 44. 43 and 44 says this. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now, listen, a few, a few helps that Jesus provides for us in our bibliology, our study of the Bible, the doctrine of the Bible, the study of the Bible. Jesus provides some helpful nuggets for us here. He says when David was writing Psalm 110, because Jesus is quoting Psalm 110 here. And he says when David was writing Psalm 110, he was writing it led by the Spirit. Jesus is giving credence to the Old Testament. He's giving credence in particular to the Psalms and to Psalm 110. But he's also giving credence to the Old Testament. And he says that was written by direction and superintendence of the Holy Spirit. When David was writing that, he was writing the thoughts of God. And that is what this book is. That is what this book is. This is the mind of God. The Bible is the mind of God. These are not just ideas and thoughts of men. This is the very mind of God. And so Jesus tells the Pharisees, he says, David, when he was writing Psalm 110, he was writing it by the Spirit. And so he asked them a question. He says, how then does David in the Spirit call him Lord? I mean, culturally, they knew that this, this, this was just, this was Jesus winning 10 nil right there. Yeah, he, he was just, that was a touchdown, a touchdown of a state. I mean, I think that would make more sense to Americans. That was a touchdown of a, of, of a statement right there. He says, why would David call him Lord? Because culturally, you know for sure. I mean, this was, this was not just a Middle Eastern cultural thing. Even here in America. 
I mean, let's say, for example, Michael, you know, your son comes and says, Dad, can you take me, maybe give me a ride and take me to the mall or something like that. And then you answer, yes, my Lord. I mean, can you, can you imagine? I mean, you, there is no culture where you would have a parent refer to a child in that high regard and high esteem. Something is obviously going on here. And Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you guys, have you never seen this? That you can even understand from Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah was to be more than just the son of David? He said to them, David called him Lord. And then he gives a prophetic interlude. He throws in Psalm 110, verse 1 there. And I want us to consider... What Jesus says there, he says, he quotes the verse in verse 40, 44, and there's three things about Jesus that we want to, um, to just exegete here, to just bring out. He says, the Lord said to my Lord, this is Jesus quoting um, Psalm, 100, Psalm 110, and he says, the Lord said to my Lord, so you notice the first Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's all uppercase meaning Yahweh, that's the covenant name of God. And so it says, the Lord said to my Lord, the second Lord, it's Adonai. So Yahweh said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand. So this is Yahweh speaking to the Messiah. And, G- and, and David calls the Messiah his Lord. He says, the Messiah is my Adonai. That is very strange that David would refer to his descendant as his Adonai, his Lord. So Yahweh said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now you notice the Messiah in this in this scripture, the Messiah is called Adonai. Now, the word Adonai is the word for master. So, David is saying, Yahweh said to my master. Now, you, I, I cannot look at my son, Stefan, and say, my master. Like I'm saying, that's strange, that's unheard of, that doesn't add up. So Jesus is quoting a scripture that will help them appreciate the fact that the Messiah was more than just the son of David. So Yahweh said to my master. So you guys, we have to help the world understand why we celebrate Christmas the way we do. Because this text is saying that that child in that manger is our Adonai. Is our Master. So we celebrate our master's birth. That's what we are celebrating in this Christmas. The birth of our master. He is our Adonai, our Lord. Now what that means is this. Is that Jesus is the master of all. He is the master of the universe. He is the master over the earth. That means he is sovereign. That's what that, that the, the, the entire 
message that David is communicating through using that title is, is to say, he, Yahweh is speaking to the one who's in charge. The one who reigns over the universe and reigns over the earth. Yahweh is speaking to our Adonai. The Messiah is our Adonai. He is our Lord. He reigns over the universe. He reigns over this earth. That's why Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything therein. He's the one who's in charge. That's why we celebrate Christmas. He's not only in charge in heaven, because we see Jesus being worshipped in Isaiah, Isaiah 6. The seraphims, the Bible says the seraphim with six wings, they fly around the throne of Christ. So Jesus is in charge in heaven. He's not only in charge in heaven. I want you to know that Jesus is in charge even in hell. Just to remind us, because sometimes we behave like Satan has some kind of, um, some kind of delegated authority in hell. He does not. There's someone who's in charge of hell, and that's Jesus. If you read Revelation at your own time, please read Re Revelation chapter 14 and verse 9 and 10. It says that the wicked are suffering in hell because, you know, I grew up, as I was growing up, people used to tell me hell is terrible because God is not there. It's the absence of God that makes hell terrible. And that's the most unbiblical statement you could hear. Hell is horrific because God is there. Because God is present in hell and his wrath is being unleashed on the wicked. And that's a scary thing. To think about the wrath of God punishing those who have rejected his rule. Because Revelation 14, 9 and 10 says they suffer in the presence of the Lamb. That Christ is there. And so he's in charge not only of heaven, not only of earth, but also of hell. He reigns in all the realms. Every realm, our master reigns. And that's why when we say Merry Christmas, we mean it. We say Merry Christmas with joy because our master has been born. The Adonai who is in charge of heaven and earth and hell has been born. He reigns over all the realms. He is Adonai. Now, you know, it has been said that um, great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. And simple minds Discuss people. <laughs> they say that. There's only one time when that is not true. When we are discussing Jesus. When we are discussing the person of Christ. These are not simple minds. When we are discussing the person of Christ, there can be no loftier subject. There can be no greater subject than to discuss our Adonai. And so Yahweh said, to my Adonai, he says, sit at my right hand. Now we look at, when you look at your, at your notes, those who have notes, sorry I wasn't pointing you to your notes, but that's, you know, when you look at 
what we see in verse number 44a is the position, I mean his person, that he is Lord, and 44b is his position. So his person and his position. His position is that Yahweh tells him, sit at my right hand. Sit at my right hand. That's his position. Now that right hand place that Yahweh tells him to sit, that's the place of majesty. Why again do we rejoice over Christmas? Because that baby that was born in Bethlehem, the Bible says Yahweh told him to sit at his right hand. A position of majesty. Why do we worship that baby? Why do we worship that Christ? Why do we worship him on the cross? Why do we worship him in the grave? Why do we worship him after he rises from the dead? Why do we worship him? Because he is seated at the right hand of Yahweh. A place and a position of majesty. There is no one who is more majestic. That majesty of Jesus cannot be challenged, my friends. Who can claim such majesty? Not any earthly leader or ruler. No one can claim such majesty. Only Christ. And that's why when we say Merry Christmas, we are saying look at his majesty. He is majestic to the nth degree. Infinitely majestic. That's Christ. So we consider his person. He is Lord. We consider his position seated at the right hand, a place of majesty and honor. And then we consider, lastly, his preeminence. And that's why I said there's a lot to rejoice. You and I have nothing to mourn over. We have nothing to be anxious about because of what God says in the last part of that verse, verse 44c. It says this, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now, the reason we rejoice, we as Christians, the reason we rejoice the way we rejoice is because we know how this battle will end. We know how this war will end. What God is saying there is this, that his triumph and his Victory is unstoppable. Yahweh says to Adonai, sit at my right hand. Watch me make your enemies your footstool. Anyone who is challenging the rule of Christ, the Bible says he will be made the footstool of Jesus. That's what scripture says. So I want you to see his preeminence. We worship him because of his person, his position, and his preeminence. He reigns over all, even his enemies. In Joshua, I want to read this text directly. Joshua chapter number 10, verse 24 and 25 and 26 it says this, it says, and when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, come near, put your feet on their necks. 
Put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua struck them and put them to death. And he hung them on five trees. And they hung on their trees until evening. This is not a place you would want to find yourself. Your neck under the foot of Christ. Because the Bible says that God, Yahweh, will make all the enemies of Christ, every philosopher who is opposing Jesus right now, every so-called intellectual opposing Jesus right now, Every political group opposing Christ, this is their end. This is how it ends for them. That Christ will put his foot on their necks and he wins. The reason we say Merry Christmas is because we know we will have the ultimate victory. We will win. This is how it ends. You and I have nothing to be anxious about. I've, I've been receiving calls from home and just communicating with people, and this is, all, uh, this is how I always sign up. I say, join Jesus in his sleep. You see, when the boat was raging, because of the storm, there was waves slapping against the boat, and Jesus is at the back of the boat, and he's asleep, and the disciples are busy trying to get the water out of the boat, I say, join Jesus in, in his sleep. You have nothing to be anxious about, my brother, my sister, because the one who was born on that Christmas morn, he is Lord, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he has his feet on the necks of his enemies. Think about his person. You think about his position. You think about his preeminence. And you say, I have a lot to celebrate this Christmas. I have a lot. I have a reason to rejoice this Christmas. And so that prophetic interlude was super helpful that Jesus gave it after he launched that probing inquiry. Now, what we will see next, the, the last storyline detail. I said there's three storyline details. The last storyline detail is this. I call it the piercing inference. The piercing inference. It's, it's the inference, it's the conclusion and this inference, this conclusion will pierce your heart. It will cut deep into your heart. Because of what Jesus says, the conclusion is sealed in verse 45. In verse 45, he says, if then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? He says, come to a logical conclusion, my friends. It cannot be that the Messiah is only a son to David. He has to be more. So this inference will pierce your heart. This is a conclusion that is sealed. 
in verse 45. He has to be more. Now listen, I will read you what someone said. And it's, a, it's something beautiful, but I disagree completely with it. He said this. Someone said, if Jesus Christ is a man and only a man, I will cleave to him and cleave to him all the way. Now that sounds beautiful. He adds and he said, if Jesus Christ is a God and the only God, I swear that I will follow him through heaven and hell, the earth, the sea, and the air. Wow. Those are heavy statements. But I disagree with this guy. He says if Jesus was a man and only a man, he would cleave to him. If Jesus was a man and only a man, you and I would want nothing to do with him. If Jesus was a man and only a man, I want nothing to do with him. He was not only a man. He was a man, fully human, truly human. But he was not only a man. He was also fully God, truly God. That's the Jesus who was born on that Bethlehem manger. The conclusion has been sealed here. He is not only David's son. He is more than the son of David. He was and still remains to be the author and the finisher of our faith. That baby that we celebrate, that baby was not only the son of David. And so the conclusion has been sealed there. And I love what it says in verse 46. Not only was the conclusion sealed, but we see the critics, they were silenced. They were all silenced. In verse 46, it says, and no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day on did anyone dare ask him any more. They came and bombarded him with questions. There was just like a, an omnibus of questions. They were just launching question after question, taxation, resurrection, and all that, trying to trap him. But here, he fires the silver bullet, and he settles all questions. The critics were silenced. And the Bible talks about God silencing and stopping every mouth. A day is coming in Romans 3. The Bible says every mouth will be stopped. When God will execute his justice and the saints will be rewarded with eternal life and the reprobates will be sent to an eternity of torment. The Bible says all mouths will be silenced and stopped. Now my prayer for all of us who are gathered here this morning is we will walk away and the statement that will be resounding in our hearts is that he is more than just the son of David. He is more than just the son of David. 
He is the eternal second person of the Trinity. That's the baby that was born. A miracle happened that Christmas day. Heaven kissed earth. Divinity and humanity came together and the perfect sacrifice for the redemption of lost sinners was given. That Christmas day, a miracle happened. And the divine put on himself humanity. And because of that Christmas day, a miracle can happen in your heart today. And that's the miracle of salvation. Salvation is a miracle. Salvation is a miracle. It is the only miracle you need in your life. If, if, if someone who was crippled came to me this day, I would look at that crippled guy and I would say the only miracle you need is salvation. You don't need to walk and go to hell. If you walk and you, 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 you do not receive of this offer, what a waste, what a shame. Because of the miracle of Christmas, we have the miracle of salvation. May we go out there and celebrate Christmas biblically because of this question. When the paternity of Jesus was being probed, this question is super helpful to calibrate our hearts to celebrate Christmas biblically. He was more than just the son of David. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Oh, precious Father, we are overwhelmed by the truth. This theology of Christmas overwhelms our hearts. We think about the greatest miracle that has ever happened. And it is when you decided to take upon yourself flesh, become one of us, and die for us making a way where there seemed to be no way. You made a way for our redemption. Jesus, we worship you this morning as the son of David, but more than that, we worship you as the son of God. You are a member of the Godhead, and you took upon yourself flesh so that we could have hope. Saints, I agree with Max Lucado when he said, when Jesus was born, our hope was born. And we rejoice over that. So Father God, we rejoice that Christmas presents to us more than just the son of David. Our hope is in Christ and we bless his name. Thank you, Jesus, in your name.